We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to DFS pregame show. Uh, here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me there on Twitter and joined, as always, on Mondays. It's Mondays with McCool, James McCool, co-author with me on the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. As you make your way in, give me those thummy thumbs in the chat. I see you guys in the YouTube chat. Joe Mack, Frederick Dude, Suki Singh, Quinn Williams, Good morning. Good morning. Not the greatest of mornings for me. Uh, didn't I uh, lost money yesterday, even though uh, primarily because my my cash lineup just like, yes, I'm on the train and it splits in double ups. And yeah, twenty five dollar double up is not supposed to pay 14 bucks like that. That probably shouldn't happen. But when you're like towards the last place, pay up the plots and you're tied 86 ways. That's what's going to end up happening. Uh, because I thought yesterday in, in dra- on both sides, the cash builds were kind of straightforward. I mean, there were some slight deviations. I think there were two main lineups on DraftKings, maybe three or four on FanDuel that were mostly 2v2s. Uh, but COVID has definitely, uh, this past week, James, kind of made, there were, there were a lot of gimmies, right? Yeah, yeah, I thought that last this last slate there were at least like five players probably in cash that I, I mean like the pricing was just so boofed on this slate. Antonio Brown at forty nine hundred was maybe the worst pricing that we've seen on a wide receiver in. I can't even remember the last wide receiver that was that badly priced. Um, Justin Jackson at forty two hundred. I projected him a little bit lower than the industry, but he was still like in cash games. Very obvious. Ronald Jones in cash games. Very obvious. Cooper Cup. Uh, no, that's not obvious. I think that was obvious. 
Well, I, 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 I think I think you played three of four of these running backs: James Robinson, Justin Jackson, Ronald Jones, Alexander Madison. Yeah, yeah. Like now, if you went up from like going up for Madison, means you probably played Josh Palmer in your second wide receiver slot. Yeah. Right. So like that. That's that. So you, like whether or not Alexander Madison replaced Robinson or replaced Jones, that was okay. Uh, I, I think that the way that we saw the slate and based on ownership, based on the way that I build, Ronald Jones was considerably better than James Robinson. The three running backs that I saw for cash were Justin, were Justin Jackson, Ronald Jones, and Alex Jones. Well, that's that you would be against the trend because James Robinson in my, in my high stakes double ups, 85% owned. Yeah. He was really, really owned. I was surprised he was so owned. So owned. I truthfully didn't want to play the Josh Palmer build. I was going to play. I was going to play a build with actually Tyree Kill. Uh, that that would have been a disaster. Uh, but but I get it. I understand why you would have. Well, just that you could play Ronald Jones. You could play James Robinson. You could play Justin Jackson. You could go down for Jalen Hurts. You could go down for like Cole Komet or something at tight end. No, you could have. You could have gone all the way down to Josh Johnson. That's why I, I was. I wasn't going to play. I wasn't going to play Josh Johnson. There was, was no way 4K. I was going to play Josh Johnson. He's four K with rushing upside. Right. I ended up playing Stafford. That didn't, it didn't work out all that well. Stafford was, was another guy that you could use. Right. But Cooper cup. I mean, I, t- you were, you were making builds that look something like that. You were playing yeah. at either a cheap tight end. You were paying up for Gronkowski who didn't do much either. Uh, you could have played Keenan Allen instead of Tyree Hill in the mm-hmm. second pay up wide receiver spot. I get it. Uh, but I mean, it was a very small select group. There were maybe um, 15 players, players you could have picked from for cash. Right. And well, on FanDuel, like, like Alexander Madison was 5,500. Like, right. It's just a lot. Right. right. Ronald Jones was 5,400. Justin Jackson was fifty. I mean, like three running back builds and then just pay up three times at wide receiver, depending on who you paid up for and depending on what quarterback, what tight end. I thankfully played Kyle Pitts over Goddard and Gronkowski. And then whether or not you played the Falcons defense, the Bengals defense, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, determining, I mean, that, that was the 2v2 to determine your, your slate. Yeah. Yeah, there were a lot of gimmies. I, I, and I think that in cash games especially, it actually is kind of hard when there are that many good plays. Like I say it kind of frequently in NBA where – I've been so annoyed with COVID and NBA, not because I think that it's like especially hard to project because I think that my models do very, very well when there's that much uncertainty. The problem is when you have legitimately 50 players to pick from that are like all good plays, like like all 50 of those players are able to produce plus EV lineups and, and good results. I think that it makes it so that there's actually less skill involved in building lineups. Sure. You can like say that because you only have those 50 players to pick from, like anybody picking outside of those 50 players is making a mistake. But when you widen the pool that much, the variance within those 50 players, it's just like, okay, well you built a good lineup because you used some players within that 50 player pool, but what one of those 50 players ends up being the one that breaks the slate and they're all 20 plus percent owned. It ends up making it. So I feel like variance takes over more on the slates like that than on slates where there is little uh, good plays and a lot of fringe plays. 
Um, I felt that way about this, this NFL slate. There were so many good plays that it made it kind of difficult to say, okay, well, did you make a bad decision or did you just end up getting variants on the other side of things? I, I felt like that was this one. I felt like this NFL slate was a lot like that. Well, I think in cash games, it was more of a prove it. Like if you play low stakes stuff, I that. like, I mean, it, it, you shouldn't be, I mean, you shouldn't be playing guys like you, you, no matter if, if you people, I mean, I'm playing a head to head when someone's playing Clyde Edwards Hilaire in cash. And I'm like, like, why, right. why him? Right. Or, or like uh, not playing Braxton Berrios, which was okay. But I'm like, I'm looking through some of, some of these head to heads, no matter if I won or lost mm-hmm. and going, well, if, if I'm playing against too many people, that's like, let's either this lineup or that lineup. Yeah. Then, then I understand. But I, I got on board the train uh, in cash games. I, the reason why I played the Josh Palmer build is because I knew Josh Palmer was going to be a million percent owned. That's very similar to last week with Gabe Davis. Of like, I don't want to get burned by the cheap wide receiver. The cheap wide receiver that could go off. I have no problem, you know, that the running back situation. I knew Justin Jackson and James Robinson would be the two highest. Then it would come to Ronald Jones and and uh, Alexander Madison. But it's like, I don't think I'm going to get. Bur- I, I, Ronald Jones ended up like maybe thirty something percent in cash. So it's like I. Most of the time, you don't get burned by by Ronald Jones. We we all know his history, uh, so it's like like I'd rather not get burned by Gronkowski in the tight end position, right? With all with Godwin and Evans out, so I just look at that and go, what what is what is my easiest path to not making a mistake? Right, Gronkowski puts up twenty two and Cole Komet puts up four. I'm dead. Yeah. Right. Josh Palmer puts up eighteen. And, you know, Tyreek Hill puts up four or whatever. I'm dead. Yeah. Right. Like, like, but that's, that's, a, that's a cash game type of mentality. But, but in GPPs, uh, I mean, Antonio Brown, have you, I mean, Antonio Brown and Cooper cup on this slate for wide receivers have the highest ownership I've seen this entire season. I I mean, I, I mean, in, in, in the, in the, in the millie. Yeah. So like in the Wildcat, Cup is 58, Brown 52. But in the Millie, they're both 52. Play action 47 and 48. It's like to have half the lineups have a receipt, have one of these two receivers and have like 20% to 25% of lineups have both in yeah. the same lineup. To me, I found that was that that was that was the path to getting different by so- by not pl- either only playing Brown like with Brady, or at least in like a secondary correlation with someone like DJ Moore, sure, and then like Cooper Cup only with Stafford, or uh, I play I played a bunch of uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Sure, as as leverage off of that, and then just instead of playing Cup, you play Tyreek Hill, you play Justin Jefferson, you play another high end wide receiver, and hope that Cooper cup just has an average game, yeah. which I mean, he had 24 points, which is, you know, that's pretty average. good, <laughs> right. It's still pretty good, but it didn't, it didn't kill you. Right. And then at running back, like I was, I was rotating in those four running backs and, and knocking in, I, my, my running back, James, my running back choices. I, I got so many things right. And still so many things wrong. 
Like too many, too many. I got the hard parts right. I got the easy parts wrong. I that was okay. So I got the pivots. I nailed them. Right, I'm but that's it. I nailed all nailed the pivots, pivots, but the man. main got the main people that didn't. When I have Tyreek Hill in half my lineups, I'm like, like uh, really? You're you're the one that ruined it. When I have Gronk in my lineups, sitting there at three points, going, you're the you're the runner. I'm sitting there. I'm I'm showing here. I'm pulling up my lineups. Uh, like I have a T Higgins one off. I have Isaiah McKenzie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I got okay. Let's go down here. Damien Harris. Right, Damien Harris and Isaiah McKenzie across like an Allen Diggs McKenzie lineup with Damien Harris. Like, look at the ownership of that. It's so hot, man. It's right, so right. Uh, then, then I go down over here. Rex Burkhead. Right, you play Rex Burkhead across from another from a Charger. Right, I got T Higgins one off here. Right, I got OBJ. I got Madison Ronald Jones, and I go to the next one. Oh, Joe Mixon. Oh, here's here's a Mahomes. Pringle Hill lineup. So Kyle good. Pitts one off. Nico Collins. Joe Mixon, 31 points. I'm sitting there going, going, okay, I got that. I got Burkhead. I got I got the, you know, Justin Jefferson and Cooper Cup bring back over here. I mean, I got I got obviously I got James Robinson in a couple of lineups that obviously, you know, he got injured in one point. I played Braxton Berrios across from him in a couple of lineups like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, even Zay Jones got me 11 points. I didn't even realize that. Okay. Pretty good. Right. So, looking through, I mean, looking through all these, it feels like it's like, oh, I got, like, I take a look at this lineup. It's like, okay, I got Brady. I got Higgins, Brown, McKenzie, Justin Jackson. It's like, then it's like, where's Brady, Gronk, Hill? It's like, dude. And I scored 190, and the winning score in the Millie was like 270 or something. And yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I had like flaming lineups going into the into the late slate, and as long as the as long as Tyree Hill could could do something, that would, that would two for nineteen didn't didn't really do it. But I mean, all these pivots. But it's not like I pivoted and just like okay, I'm not going to play Jackson. I'm not going to play like those four running backs. It's not like it's like no, I'm going to fade them all and then play two others. It's like no, I just rotate them in. Yeah. Right. Right. Justin Jackson, Damian Harris. Here's Madison Burkhead Jones, Mixon Jackson, Jacobs Bur. Okay, this one's this one's a contrary one. Jacobs Burkhead, but I have Palmer and Cup in there, so that's probably the reason why I chose. And yeah, look, Cup and Brown is in this lineup. Yeah, right. So and Palmer as a cheap, you know, chalky punt. So it's like okay, now I just got to get a Jacobs Burkhead there. Yeah, right. Burkhead Jones. Right. So I mean. Were, were that similar to your pivots? So for, first off with the, with the cash game lineup, um, I just wanted to note, I, I would have played Justin Jackson, Ronald Jones and James Robinson and not Alexander Madison had I played cash, but okay. only because it would have gotten me Cooper cup, Antonio Brown, Keenan Allen, Rob Gorkowski, which were all super. But it would have been worse than my lineup. Even. Right. Right. Because right. Keenan Allen did garbage also. Right. So we'll talk about that with my GVP lineup. Uh, I only did one lineup this week. Um, I had regged my regular three lineups into the power sweep. And as I was like looking at the slate and as I was building projections, because I build projections Sunday morning, I usually build them Saturday morning, but because we had Saturday slate and it was Christmas and I was just exhausted. We've projected 90 slates of NFL over the last week and a half and I was tired. So 
I, I projected Sunday morning instead. And as I'm building out projections and as I'm looking at them and I'm like trying to build my lineups and I'm looking at lineups and I'm like, I don't think I can build three lineups here because they're all going to be the same lineup with a different quarterback. Like I, I just, maybe I'm going to swap it running back a little bit. Maybe I'm going to have Cooper cup instead of Keenan Allen, but like I'm not getting off Antonio Brown. I'm not getting off Joshua Palmer. Um, I'm probably not getting off Gronkowski. Like that there were a couple teams, the chargers, the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Rams that I thought were like a step above the rest. And I had the Bills as a contrarian stack. The Bills were actually my top stack, but I wanted to go after the teams that I thought had uh, higher totals. The Bills only have like a 22-team total, whereas the Chargers and the Bucks had 27, 28. So I thought there were like three teams that made a lot of sense. And, and, and just, just, to, just to highlight, uh, the, the teams that I played were the Rams. Yeah. I, I, played, I played Stafford, Brady, Herbert. Allen and Mahomes. There you go. Yeah. Right. I, you mentioned the Chiefs. I played the Chiefs. Right. Yeah. So like, like, uh, and I was thinking about cousins and Ryan. Uh the the funny part is on the on the advanced sports analytics show, I said uh the the game that I had as a plus that could go over uh lower uh, compared to ownership at the time on Thursday. Yeah, was uh, Cincinnati, Baltimore. Yeah, people. And but I was going under the assumption. I just want to highlight. I just want to point out. I was going under the assumption Lamar Jackson or Tyler Hunter. Right. Huntley right. was gonna was gonna be right. starting. So I was like, if if Lamar is back, like, yeah. But I don't even mind Huntley. And then once once that came down, and then ownership moved, and I saw Burrow was overowned. Then I'm like, Burrow's overowned. Chase is overowned. Higgins is. A little too Higgins is fine, and then it's like okay, well, I'll, I'll play more Mixon. I like Mixon. Yeah, I played. You know, Mixon. Higgins is a one-off, but like not a game side. I didn't like anyone on the Ravens side, so like that was the main reason. Like, had Lamar Jackson or Huntley started, mm-hmm. I probably would have had, and I probably would have done it from the Raven side anyway. I would have done a Lamar Andrews Higgins type of lineup uh, instead. But it's just kind of weird that I'm like, you know, I I'm targeting this game, but I'm not even sure that that if that would have happened, that the if the ownership would have went that way anyway, I would have gotten off that. I mean, like like right. Josh Allen was three percent on like the bill, bill stack. It was, was so silly. And and why is Brady like how is Antonio Brown 50 percent and, and Gronkowski being being 17 percent and Brady only being six percent? I, I saw the ownerships at Locke. On here, here's my lineup. I, I had Tom Brady, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski. I did not have a bring back from Carolina. I didn't think bring backs were necessary on any of the top stacks. Okay. And then I had Keenan Allen and Joshua Palmer because that, that target tree is super skinny. I don't mind having both of them, even without Herbert. This goes back. Okay. To you didn't play Jackson. Uh, I did not play Jackson specifically. And, and I'll talk about that here in a second, but specifically because I had Keenan Allen and Joshua Palmer, I didn't want to have Justin Jackson at the same time because of the leverage that having Keenan Allen and Palmer would have had over the run. Justin Jackson. So I did actually have a two V two late that I was deciding on between Keenan Allen and the chiefs defense and Cooper cup and the Falcons defense. Now, who'd you have a running back in that one? So running back, 
I nailed the pivots. Just Joe Mixon and Damian Harris. Nailed the pivots. I mean, I could not have been better with the pivots at running. You should have played Burkhead. I I didn't mind Burkhead. And actually, Burkhead goes along with your Chargers. Right. So I had Tom Brady, Joe Mixon, Damian Harris, Keenan Allen, Antonio Brown, Joshua Palmer, Rob Gronkowski, Emmanuel Sanders, and the Chiefs defense. Uh, You didn't go with McKenzie. I did not because he was going to play the spot. So that's that's the only reason I play. I'm like, like all these guys out, like who's going to play the slot. It's not going to be Sanders. It's not going to be Diggs. So like who's, and the Patriots, the way that the Patriots play is that between the twenties, they let you do whatever the hell you want, especially in the middle of the field. So it's like, like give me whoever's the slot receiver on the bills. And I like probably McKenzie and it makes me not have to play Palmer or anyone down there. And it's like, okay. And then yeah. I can play Damien Harris in those lineups and play the little secondary correlation. McKenzie was fine. I thought that McKenzie, I, I thought that Diggs was probably the most underowned wide receiver on the slate. He had the most leverage for me in my models. I projected him like God. Uh, I liked Sanders. What did you have him projected? What was, his, what, was, what was his number? It's like 22 or something. Oh, no, that's way off. Come on, 22? It was high. Yeah. I told you I had I, him I got him at oh. 17. Because the Bills are so pass-heavy, not only between the 20s, but also uh, in the red zone. So they have one of the highest adjusted pass rates. It's above 70% in both. So when you take away Gabriel Davis and when you take away Cole Beasley, it's like... That, you what, did you just give him like a 32% target share? I think I gave him a 28-25. It was high, but like Diggs is still... He's one of the highest upside wide receivers. I, yeah, I if I had him at 22, I would have had him in like all my lineups. Yeah, I thought that he, he would have projected play. more. He would, Ty, I had Tyreek Hill at 22. Yeah, he projected really, really well for me. But I couldn't afford him. I did actually want to try to get to him, but I couldn't get to him. Um, but regardless, like the way that I went about it with that Keenan Allen and Chiefs split, uh, it was either Keenan Allen and the Chiefs or Cooper Cup and the Falcons. But if I get off of Keenan Allen, I just leave Josh Palmer there, then there's no reason to fade Justin Jackson on the assumption that they're going to get there through the passing game rather than the running game. Little did I know that Justin Jackson would be used better than Austin Eckler has been used all year, be the leading wide receiver for the, for the chargers and the leading rusher and have two red zone touchdowns. It was, he just ran and the chargers would lose to the Texans, and they would (laughs) lose. They were, they were in the script that I played for. For God's sakes. Uh, but I, I mean, I nailed the pivots. I had I had Damian Harris as the best running back on the slate. He ended up crushing. I had Joe Mixon very, very well for a lot of the same thoughts that you did with that Bengals and Baltimore game. Whereas if Lamar Jackson is in, I don't like Joe Mixon as much. And I like the passing game for Cincinnati more. But because they had a third string quarterback and they are decimated, and Cincinnati are decent home favorites, and Joe Mixon is going to be way underowned. It's like, how am I not going to play Joe Mixon here? When when they're in this script, he gets 25 rushing attempts and like all of the red zone work, and he's going to be underowned. So right, you know, he was he was about seven percent owned. Yeah, incredibly low owned. For, but but that's what you're going to get when you have Alexander Madison, Ronald Jones, James Robinson, and Justin Jackson. Like the way that people were going to play this slate was going to be likely either paying down at running back or playing Alexander Madison. So the direct leverage that I got on Joe Mixon was incredible. And I liked Alexander Madison as well. I, I didn't mind Alexander Madison over uh, somebody like Damian Harris or um, James Robinson. 
Like I liked the lineups that I built. And then when I see the ownerships and it's like, okay, yeah. Keenan Allen, 21, Antonio Brown at 53, I thought was probably a little bit under-owned. I think he, I think. No, I that can't be under, in. not for a receiver. 50%. I thought he was going to come in. No, no, no. I, I mean, I, I mean, under-owned according to what I thought he was going to be. I thought he was going to be like 60, 65%. Oh, no. I thought he would be like 40. Oh, dude, 4,900 with nobody there. Tom Brady having the year that he's having. I I, I thought he was going to be higher. But 52, I wasn't surprised by that. Joshua Palmer at 25%, okay. And then I see Tom Brady at 6%. And I'm like, what did people do? They played Brown as a one-off, obviously. And, and then Joe Mixon at 7%, Damian Harris at 3%. And I was like, I love these ownerships. And I loved the ownerships all the way up until Tom Brady was terrible. Uh, and I was two points away from the cash line and the Chiefs defense was doing well. And I needed like one more interception to get there. And I did. So uh, like I said, nailed the pivots, absolutely crushed the game theory, got the Sklansky bucks, uh, did not get any actual real money from the slate. I mean, I, I mean, I just didn't have them all together in the same lineup. I mean, that's that, that really, that's really what it came down to. Well, and this like, I mean, and also, and also like, like I didn't have Joe Burrow. So like you're dead, like you, you weren't right. winning. Right. Well, and th- there wasn't a stack that I would have played that would have done well. There's wasn't like the, the chargers uh, ended up not doing very well with Herbert. I think he, he put up what, like 15 or something like that. 16. No, Herbert put up 21. Oh, did, okay. He had an okay slate. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I mean, depend, no one that you paired him with other than right. Jackson. I mean, Palmer got me 15 points is whatever the hell, but I mean. Right. But like, I would have paired him with Keenan Allen and Joshua Palmer. Uh, Tom Brady stack, like pairing at Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski. Like that was the stack that I'm going to make. Uh, right. The Rams, I would have gotten Cooper Cup and OBJ. And, and like, and these teams, you know, you focus on the teams that have the high team totals. And like Tampa Bay put up 32. I can't be mad because they, they exceeded their team total. The Rams put up plenty of points. Uh, the Chargers put up plenty of points. The like, Chiefs put up plenty of points. Chiefs put up plenty of points. Hill. You just can't. You just can't do anything they, better. They, 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 we should have gotten the memo that all you have to do is play all of the Bengals and Mark Andrews. Right. Yeah. All, all I mean, all, I mean, dude, dude, this guy threw for over 500 yards. He had three a hundred that I've never seen three receivers from the same team from the same team have to get the hundred yard bonus. Uh huh. Yeah. Just and yeah. no, no. It's you play Burrow, you play Burrow, you pair him with with Chase Higgins and Boyd, and you play Mixon. Yeah. No. Yeah. And then five, you play Andrews also. So you're you're playing you're playing a five plus one. Incredible. Uh, yeah, you you basically treat it like a showdown slate. Uh, and there you go that's that's all you need to do but it it just it it wasn't going to happen for me this week um I didn't have Cincinnati projected super well or rated well as a stack because and and the main reason for this it's not that I was just like oh yeah the the Bengals like I, I think they suck uh the Bengals over the last five weeks have been middling in terms of pass rate on the adjusted script they've been 57 percent pass overall which is pretty low in the league 61 percent in the adjusted script and then in the red zone, Cincinnati has only had a 42% pass rate in the red zone over the last six weeks. And when, when that's happening, like they're not going to project for a lot of passing touchdowns because 
The Bengals were up by 20 points. They're still chucking the ball. I know. I know. And, and then, like, apparently it comes out. They're like, oh, well, we knew that Burrow was closing in on, on 400, 500 yards, so we just kept letting him throw. And it's like, why don't you do that every week then? Right. That's what they should be doing. If you think that he has this capacity to throw for 500 yards and you're like, oh, well, he's already at 350. Maybe he gets another 150 and a quarter. Just d- do that every the week. Beng- the Bengals th- have – possibly the best receiving core in the league. I, I think the Bucks probably when they're healthy, yeah. Godwin Evans, Gronk, and all those guys. But, like, dude, Tyler Boyd is your wide receiver three. He'd be, be the wide receiver one on probably five or six teams in the league. Right? I mean, if he was on the Jets, he'd be the alpha. If he was on the Lions, they'd be Lions. loving him, right? Jaguars. Yeah, the Jaguars, right? It's insane. So yeah, I, uh, you know, when, when things like that happen, I think that not only does it like, I, I mean, uh, Justin over at run the Sims, he posted his, uh, his, oh, yeah, I saw that his, his like a 99.8 percentile outcome or something. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, this might've been an outlier. And like, it, it's one of those things where we talk about it all the time of there's only 17 slates in NFL so, like, this is basically that four-home run game from Scooter Gannett back in 2018 where you're just like, <laughs> he hasn't hit a home run all year. Then he has a four-home four run game, and you're like, what, what are you going to do? Uh, and it also, I think it highlights what we talk a lot in this industry about how dumb coaches are. And it's like, dude, if you as a coach believe that your quarterback can throw for 150 yards in a quarter in any given game, then how – on God's green earth, are you ever not letting him do that? Yeah, why are you running the ball on second and eight? Like, what is your justification for, oh, yeah, well, we're just going to, you know, slow this game down. Like, no, dude, if you think that your quarterback can ever in a game throw for 500 yards, you just try to do that every game. And I don't understand why you would ever do anything else. Just don't get it. And the thing about the Bengals is that, like, Compared to on Thursday, their ownership was twice as much as I had projected. Right. On Thursday. I mean, like when I saw when Burrow was going off and I'm like, okay, was that, is that a big deal? 12%. Yeah. Twice the ownership of Brady. Why is he 12% owned? And like Jamar Chase is 13. Like I had Chase for like five. I had Higgins for like seven. Mm -hmm. I had Burrow for five. I got Andrews for five to eight or something. And that that's the main reason why it's like, well, if Lamar is in, like I'll play the Bengals at that ownership. Mm-hmm. And then come Sunday morning, I, I, I aggregate a bunch of stuff. And it's like, like it's almost more people are playing Burrow. And then, and it didn't get up to 12. It got up to like eight, right? Like eight and J- Chase would be nine and Higgins would be 10. Andrews would be 10. And I'm like, like it's over. It's so based on my stuff. It was over owned. So I'm like, like, I, I don't, I can't, I don't want to play it. I can't blame you. I, I thought that it, it was, uh, it was ETR that ended up talking about Cincinnati uh, a little bit more. And like, they just started to catch steam and people like, Oh, well, why is Burrow so cheap? And it's like that, you know, I, I, I saw two articles on the, uh, on the Cincinnati Bengals wide receivers and people saying, Oh, well, is it a mistake to, to lock in the Cincinnati Bengals wide receivers? And I'm seeing all this steam and I'm like looking at my stuff. And it's like, dude, 
when I look at the biggest baselines that I have built up, Cincinnati was only projected for 1.14 passing touchdowns and 1.57 rushing touchdowns. And I'm like, if people are going to play Cincinnati, this is probably a great slate for me. Little did I know the 500-yard game for Burrow was coming. No, well, the thing that I mentioned on Thursday was that they projected, compared to other players on the slate, other stacks on the slate, other team totals on the slate, they projected less from a median perspective. Right. Yeah. But these are two teams that have and that have explosive players. So, like, if I'm going to play, to like, like, so I think someone asked me about like Jags Jets, mm-hmm. right? That game. It's like, do you want to target Jags Jets? Why don't you want to target Jags Jets as under owned versus? You know, get leverage off of Robinson. You know, why don't you play Marvin Jones or Treadwell or any? I'm like, I look at these two teams. I look at the two quarterbacks. I go, where are the explosive players? Mm-hmm. Where, where Braxton Berrios, 12 for 167 and two touchdowns. Do you see that? No. I, I take a look at the Bengals wide receivers. I take a look at Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews. Right. I go, all I need is a broken play. All I need is a big, a couple of big plays, and this game could go way over because it, it contains those type of plays. The 49ers, right? People think of them as a very run-heavy team, but it's like with Debo and Ayuk and Kittle, like they decide to pass it a little bit, go a little bit more pass, passing-oriented. The 49ers could put up 42 points yeah. today. I mean, but if they decide to shift more towards the running game, look at the Seahawks. Right, we that. Why do you think we? Why do you think we play DK Metcalf, even though Pete Carroll's a schmuck? Quick, uh, right? Quick Cap and Lockett. It's like, why aren't they throwing the ball forty-five times a game? Quick, we got a receiving core like this. My models liked the Bears over the Seahawks yesterday. That that's the state of affairs with the Seahawks. That the that Darnell Mooney projects better than DK Metcalf because Pete Carroll doesn't want to do anything. Obviously, that game was a little bit different because it was a snow game and sure. the weather mattered. I mean, I mean, it still went over, right. They scored about yeah. 49 points total. Yeah. And, and the bears get there like on the last play of the game, but it was so funny. I, I usually I'll try to find like underdogs and um, like I had Arizona or Buffalo. I had over new England, but that, I mean, that's one point, but then I'm going through and it's like, okay, yeah, the chargers deserve to be 11 point favorites. Tampa Bay probably deserves to be 10-point favorites. And then, it's, oh, Chicago over Seattle. <laughs> like, why is, why is that happening? But Seattle, man, Pete Carroll is just terrible, man. He's so bad. Greg Rosenberry says that your mod, that uh, everyone's model in the industry is wrong in the chat. Because the Ravens' defense, you have to, obviously, against their secondary – like in your model, obviously, when you compare matchups versus secondary, you have to boost everyone by 700%, right? Oh, yeah, because because all the defensive players are missing and they're using backups, right? And uh, Right, because you would figure that if, if that mattered enough, Cincinnati's team total would be 38 and not 24. Right. Uh, and, so also, team- and also their, 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 their run rate wouldn't be 64%. It, it would be much lower than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so here, here's the thing with, uh, with modeling. And I'll speak to this as as the resident modeler of this uh, of this podcast. Um, Vegas is pretty smart. That's my answer. Betting bet, betting markets are 
I don't like sure. I don't like using the term like some like something that says, you know, oh, the bookmakers like, no, it's the betting. Markets. Right. It, it is the, betting the, the closing lo- the closing lines of NFL games are the most efficient numbers. It's not in close in, in all of in all of anything, anything related to DFS or sports betting or anything like this. The closing lines of NFL. The R squared of that is the highest of any. You can't get, there's nothing that correlates better. And the reason for that is because of volume, because there are so many people betting that you get much, much better volume and get much more fine granular detail on the models for NFL. It actually goes NFL is the top. It's, it's the most secure. And then you go down to NBA, NBA's next. And then big drop off, huge drop off down to NHL and then baseball and then soccer. And that's a, there's a reason why whenever we look at spreads, like betting the spread in NHL or MLB, I think is one of the most profitable things that you can do because it is always 1.5. I've seen like 2.5, like three times or something, because the models are not only are the models less efficient, because there is significantly less volume of people betting on them to refine them, but also because of the variability of event-oriented sports make it so that things like that and embracing the volatility, like it makes it so that those models and those lines on games that are not being bet on enough, there's so much edge on those. And I mean, they're juiced usually more. You'll usually see like a 20 cent big on it, but uh, attacking those, like people think that the NFL it's something where it's like, oh, these lines are, are going to be like significantly off sometimes, like very, very rarely. And, and that's why, like, when I see things like the Bears being favored in my model, I'm like, that's really, really silly because I would think that they would not be favored in any situation. But yeah, you're right. It's it's uh, it's based on volume and it's based on being refined. And especially that the last thing I'll say about it is this late in the season. So in the first four weeks of the season, um, the books are much less confident in their own models. So the books will put together models and they'll have like their, their, their biases and their priors, but they're much less confident in them. So you'll see line changes a lot more earlier in the season. You'll see lines shift like four or five points significantly more often earlier in the season. Whereas now the books are very confident in their models. So even big, but that's not, that's nope. I'm sorry. I got to cut you off. That's not how it works. That 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 the owner of the sports book at MGM talked about this last year on their podcast. That that is how it works. No, no, that's not. No, you're you're being very deceiving. Am I? I yeah. I'm just relaying what I've heard on. No, heard okay, from let me let me. Let, you want me to explain? Yeah, sure, go for it. The sports book. So the sports book comes out with an opening line mm-hmm. based on their whatever way that they originated. Right. Okay. Their opening line obviously with the less amount of sample is going to be more likely to be off. I mean, that's I, it. I'm agreeing 100% with what you say. Yeah. How does the line move from opening to close? Based on volume. Based on, well, what, what, what do books do now? I want to, I want to highlight that most, uh, most, if not all retail sports books do not originate their own lines. Sure. Okay, so offshore book books that are known for to taking more sharp action, they'll open. So Sunday night, lines will come out on an offshore book. 
Yeah. At low limits, which means you may not be able to get maybe maybe the max is a thousand. Maybe sometimes it's maybe even five hundred. So once those we see a, a football game open up, but the total is forty-seven, and maybe once that line opens, sharp betters look and they look at their models, right? They have their models and everything like that. And they go, this game really should be a 50. Yeah. Like that, the 47 is a bad line. Now the book, their, their model, their primitive version of modeling, right? The originator put 47. Now they're starting to take $500 bets, $1,000 bets yeah. on the over, over, over. Within the next three hours, it goes based on the profiling of the customers, Right. Who's who beats the closing line more often than not? They start seeing that all their sharp action is coming in over, over, over. So now the line's moving to 47 and a half. Right. Two hours later, three, two hours after that, it's 48. Two hours after that, it's 40. Like, like, did first off, that line you're not going to be able to get on a retail sports book because it hasn't been posted on a retail sports book yet. Right. Okay. By the time, by the time six hours go by or so then maybe that 48 and a half gets posted on insert bet mgm insert DraftKings, insert whatever now maybe the, the the closing line will end up being 50 because that's what it that the 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 best modelers or whatever the the most amount of action wisdom of crowds will end up making it so now once it gets po- once once the action starts coming in early on the on the limited action the next day, like Monday morning, that offshore sports book will now like up the limits on that on the on the spreads or the totals to two thousand or five thousand. Sure, right? And then they still they're still getting a, a lot of action on the over. So now it's going to forty nine. It goes to forty nine and a half, and then all the retail sports books look at that and they go, "I don't know what action we're getting, but." Let's 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 start moving the number here. So they, it gets moved to forty nine and a half, and now now by my Monday by Monday afternoon, now it's kind of stable, right? Now it's kind of like now it, it could be fifty, could be, and then throughout the course of the week, like the limits start getting raised. So like by the it by the time Sunday at, before game comes around, you want to make a you want to make a hundred thousand dollar bet, like go go ahead. Like the, the sports books will take it. I mean, I'm assuming they haven't profiled you or anything, but like that, the books will originate a line when they have when they have some form of origination. But the reason why the line gets shaped is because of limits, is right because it's like if the line was that off, like this. This is why when I tell people that that uh, sports betting is not complicated to beat, sports betting is not difficult. It's actually extremely easy. To beat sportsbook, to, to, to beat uh, the better way to put it, to beat the betting lines. Okay, ninety nine percent of your work is not going to be that. Right, ninety nine percent of your work is getting the money down. <laughs> right, because you could look at an offline all you want and go a Sunday night. You know, I used to do I, I used to do it for baseball way back in the day. They put the the overnight lines. Right. And sometimes they have the lines out even while the game the day before is going on. Right. And you look and you take and you, you look at it. You, you look, you, you have a model. Right. 
you're looking through and you go, go, dude, the, the wind's going to be blowing in at like 12 miles an hour tomorrow. And they stay this game as an eight and a half with these two pitchers. Like this game should be like a seven, seven and a half or whatever. Like I'm, I'm putting money down. And you know what? You go to put money down, right? And you say, I want to put 500 bucks down. They go, nope, 150 bucks is the limit. And you go, well, this is an easy, this is an easy bet. I want the under eight and a half on, on the total. 150 bucks, that's your limit. It's like, okay, now I, I got to go to another book now. Yeah. Right. That has that, that posted the, the copied line eight and a half. And I go, I want, I want uh, the bet. And they got uh, two, two, two twenty is your limit. Okay. I, let me go to the third book. No. Right. Like, okay, well, how much can I, and then, then by the time I go to the third book, it's been an hour and now the line's at eight. Yeah. Right. So then I go to that book. Okay. I want to put, I would, and they go, your limit's 500. Right. It's like, I, but I want a bit more. And then, and then I go back to the, to the book that I started with, and now it's down to eight. So I'm like, let me see if I, I think this should be seven and a half. And they go, oh, your limit's 500, right? So, and then the morning comes, you've gotten about maybe 1,200 down, and now the line's seven and a half. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, do you want to bet on seven and a half? Your limit's 5,000. Yeah. Right? Like, like if, yes, it's easy to beat, it's easy to beat the books, for how much? And then the the edge on on the eight and a half bet is maybe eight percent, right, or something like maybe maybe it's ten percent. And then I got to sum at eight, and so you, you could push a couple. So maybe your total edge on your twelve hundred dollars is six or seven percent of twelve hundred bucks. Yeah, which is what seventy dollars or whatever like that. Like that and, yeah. and then and then on top of that. You have to, if you're going to do that in multiple places and multiple games, when you find them, uh, this is especially back in the day. I don't, it's probably easier, much easier now. Balancing out your money is mm-hmm. a problem because you'll win some bets and lose some bets. And then next thing you know, you have, you have 20 accounts and then the best line is on a, on a, on a book that you only have, you have $130 on. And by the time they, they approve your, your, your deposit. This is back. This is back. This is like 2005. So they typically approve deposits. So you have to wait for someone to manually approve it. So when by the, I'm waiting, I'm waiting an hour for my, my manual approval and the line moves. Yeah. And it's like, like I couldn't get it there. Cause I didn't have, and then I win a bet. Then now next thing you know, I have 5,000 on one account and I only have a hundred dollars on another account. So you have to, and then you can't withdraw and then deposit in there because for money laundering, rules and then also for the fact that you have to kind of keep your play you know kind of hidden right you shouldn't you shouldn't be middling on the same book like for like like if it, it's like that's that's a number one flag it's like if you're going to try to middle the same book like they're they're going to they're going to shut you down i mean like eventually no action so fast right like where 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 you you bet you bet early in the week if you're going to bet if like in that example if, uh, that we said with the, the 47 total that you got early in the week for X amount of money, whatever, it's probably not much. So you get 47 and by the time it closes towards close, it's 50. So you want to bet if you bet the over 40 and you bet the under 50, obviously on 48 and 49, you win both bets on 47. You win one and push the other at 50, you win one, push the other. So it's like, if you're going to get the 50 and it's the 50 exists across all books, 
Don't bet it at the place where you don't bet the under 50 at the place where you, you bet the over 47. Right. Because they're going to look and you go, what the hell? What the hell are you doing? You're betting both sides of the game. Same thing with the money lines. Right. On money lines, because you can find arbitrage all over the place oh, yeah. as long as you know when to time everything. So you could bet you could bet, you know, uh, uh, like in an MMA fight or something like that. The line sucks. Uh, they, they overrated the favorite or something like that. And you bet plus 180 on the underdog. And then by the time that, that it comes around, next thing you know that that uh, you're betting minus 115 on the favorite and you're, you're capturing 65 cents in between. And you obviously you could even put it in, make a little formula so you could even it out and you could pretty much and you could guarantee you could essentially guarantee yourself profit. Yeah. You do that at the same book. They're going it, to it to them. It's like you're just stealing money from them. And because you are. <laughs> well, you're not real. I mean, you're making two bet two <laughs> valid bets at two different times, but they don't really they don't want those types. Of, they don't want no, those. Of course not. So your goal is to bet it in one place and then bet it in another place. And then you that you see what your hold percentage is. It's positive. And there you go. So you could find plenty of situations where your hold is essentially zero. When you're betting, you could bet minus 115 and plus 115 on two sides of the game. I know it, I know this is supposed to be a DFS review show, but I at least want to explain some, yeah, uh, no, some this, sports. This was really, really valuable for a lot of people, especially because over the next year where more and more states are going to legalize uh, sports betting and like mobile sports betting, this kind of information is really important. Right. But, the, but this is the main reason why, like, I don't do any sports betting. It, it's very tiny. Like this, like this would be the con, like the explaining how this all works. But as far as like, 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 dude, like it's not that complicated. I mean, we have Grant here. We have Will here. Mm-hmm. Britt is good with the props and everything. Like, I mean, like, it's not that hard. I mean, I can, I can look at the projections on any sport and then overlay them with the, with the sports books odds and then calculate my edge and bet accordingly. The problem is, Getting like on props, I mean, like just getting the money down is is is, is extremely hard, uh, and without getting without getting limited, and if you want to make beer money, it's it's absolute it, it's one hundred percent doable. It oh, is, yeah. it is if you if you want to supplement yourself with uh, maybe a couple of hundred bucks a month, I mean, right you, right you want to make three hundred three four hundred bucks a month. Yep. On average, with with sports betting, absolutely, I, I that 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 is no issue whatsoever. Obviously, you, you need a a bankroll. You probably need a five five thousand dollar bankroll or something like that to start out with. That's no problem. But like, can you make a living off of three or four hundred dollars? Like, no, you you're not going to be able to. Like, right. so like either either you step up your game to have to have twenty plus accounts. Multiple, you have to do part, you have to have partners. It, it gets, it gets, it gets so complicated, right? Back, back in, back in 2005, I did it with baseball, made some money, not a lot of money, not in the grand scheme of things, not a lot of money. It's still good money. Uh, but it's, it's, it's just, it's just a, that beating the lines isn't the hard part. That was the easy part. When waiting for the morning, I did, I did it in baseball. You beat, you beat the morning, you beat the overnight lines. You find arbitrage opportunities uh, in the morning, in the afternoon. You know what you you know what books copy what other books. You know how they move. You know certain. You know there there are some books that have dime lines, some books that have twenty cent lines. There are some books that don't move their lines for four hours. So you know, like like 
something ha- someone is injured in a, I mean, it, it happens much quicker now, but it used to be back in 2005 that, you know, so-and-so first that the star first baseman of whatever team, you know, getting a dead that on sports talk radio, the manager says he's getting a day off right now. This is before Twitter and everything. So it's like, you know that he's getting a day, he's getting a day off and the line has not moved yet. Right. And then you go, you bang it out. You, 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 you get 500, 500 bucks or so down thousand bucks down. And then you wait, you wait until nearly close. And you almost bet you bet the other side, you bet the other side because the line's going to move so much dramatically. Obviously in baseball, we're not talking about starting pitchers because obviously if the starting pitcher gets scratched, your bet's going to be voided anyway uh, because it's required. I mean, you know, I hope people know that, that like if the started, you're making the bet on a baseball game with the intended starting pitcher. Right. So if like Garrett Cole gets scratched, it's going to be a bullpen game. Like your bet's going to just be voided. Uh, but that, but that's the whole goal. Like, and then you'd go to the way to the other side. I'd have my little, I have my little Excel spreadsheet that would tell me if I have one side of this bet, how much, and what are the odds on the other side? What do I bet? And how much do I make right in the middle? Right. And then you just, and, and it's, it's rinse and repeat. And you could, you could do 500 on one side. You end up with like 420 on the other side and you guarantee yourself $35. Yep. Like, like just bing right there. And it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which side wins or loses. You're guaranteed $35. The problem is, is that one account will have a thousand plus dollars and the other account will have zero in it. So you need to have enough money across so many accounts. To me, that's sport that, that is the art of sports betting. It's not the, it's not the, what, what side of the line do you want? Like, like dude, just get, it's like what we say about DFS. It's like, just look at the projection. Yep. And I, and I have in my prop betting tool, I have it built in to read from DraftKings Sportsbook. So like, it's so easy to just like, Oh, I ran, ran models in the morning. Maybe there's going to be this person out. Okay. Well, the, the line already likes this person. So I might as well just, just take the over on that. And then lo and behold, that person is out later. It's like, okay, Oh, cool. Well, now that person is going to be their Their PRA is it was 30 in the morning like the Drew Holiday situation. It was something that Grant just like absolutely took advantage of over the last like two weeks with no Giannis. It's like, okay, well, if Giannis is questionable and Drew has a PRA points, rebounds, assists prop out of like 30 or something in the morning. Right. And Giannis is questionable. Uh, and my model says that he has a PRA of like 34 or something. So there's, there's a little bit of edge on that. Right. Right. And so then, a, there's a little bit of edge at minus one time. Right. At, at, at minus 110. If it's minus 135, you got nothing. Right. That's why I say a little bit of edge. Uh, assuming a, a negative 110 or a negative 115 or something like that, you have a little bit of edge. And then later, you know, you place your bet, put down 100 bucks on that. And then later, Giannis gets ruled out. And now the PRA is like 46. And you're like, oh, well, pff, take the under on that now. So now right. you have between 30 and 46 where you're going to make money. Like, most likely, unless he scores, you know, really, really badly, but or really, really well. No, you're guaranteed to win at least one of your bets. And you didn't even things out correctly to where you make money on either outcome because you do right. still have to measure it out. But right. that, that's the kind of thing where if, if you can make a if you can make a process of that, because my goal in starting in January is I'm going to be trying to make anywhere between five hundred thousand dollars per month on sports betting. That's going to be something that I challenge myself to. 
Uh, I have never tried to do it before. So I like taking on challenges. I'm going to try to do that. And I, I think that that's feasible with the way that I can build out models. And I, I agree with you that as long as you're paying attention to the closing line values, and as long as you're paying attention to where you're placing your bets, it's not super hard to make a little bit of money sports betting. No, it's, it's, it's really not as that little bit, bit about a money, but you know, right. you're, it's, it's not, not you're going to quit your job and spend eight to 10 hours a day type of thing right. in order to like, you could do that, but it takes all the, all the other, the getting the money down skills. And you, you have to dedicate to it. Um, another person who I, I think is very, very good at it and pays a lot of attention is uh, Greg Ehrenberg on Twitter. Uh, he works, I think, at Osimo. Um, he's really good at the, the season-long kind of stuff with that, where he's very disciplined and very good at understanding where... The few, you're talking about futures betting. betting. Yeah, futures betting, yeah. Um, where he's very, very good at understanding and paying attention to the way that the, the league and the fans react to certain things. And I, I respect him a lot for that. That's a longer term game that I think that I would be worse at, but that kind of thing too, I think that can pay really good dividends in terms of an investment standpoint. Um, I think it is harder than betting props, obviously, but it's a very interesting thing to pay attention to. Um, with like coach of the year and MVP and, and futures bets. I, I think that is a good investment strategy as well. If you can pay attention to it and if you can um, be on top of things very, very well. Uh, Sean George asks, do you think legalized sports betting makes it easier to get the volume down without getting limited? No, harder. No, way harder. Retail, retail sports book are not, are not in the bookmaking business. Yeah. They don't care about it. They're, they're in the market. They're in the marketing business. Yeah. So like um, something, let, let me ask you this, Jordan, um, something that Levitan said uh, before, well, I guess it was earlier in the season uh, because him and the guys over at ETR have been really trying to attack the props and they've been doing a pretty good job, but he said that he wants to place some stupid bets every once in a while to keep the books honest with him. Do you think that that works? No, no, it, 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 not really, no. Okay. Well, what's I, a stupid? What, like, number one, number one. If you're going to make stupid bets, the the edge on on sports betting is lower as it is. So anything that reduces, like, oh, I'm going to play. If I'm going to just put down a five dollar eight team parlay, like, dude, that's not going to mean much. Sure. Right. Sure. Like, it really comes. It really comes down. Like, if in 2005. It was much harder to profile someone because the tools that the books had were very primitive, mm-hmm. right? So as long as you didn't middle the same book, as long as you weren't arbing them, essentially you could get away with anything. They weren't calculating your CLV. They weren't like they they were not none none of them were doing that. As long as as long as it didn't didn't feel like you it didn't feel like you were manipulating the lines because I, I there were some syndicates that would bet you know but uh 10 grand on on one site in order to bet 50 grand on another when the when the line got copied right yeah right and you bet one way and you get the line gets copied and then you bet the five times the amount on the other side because that's the correct way because they'd adjust too much because the, the the early limits were just pushing it in one direction when really it should be in the other direction uh those types of things are, I mean, it's 2021. The tools that the books have now to profile are absurdly good. Oh, yeah. So 
there's you're and that the 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 thing is is that it's because the model is broken. I'm talking about the sports betting as a business model is broken. Right. There are some sports books that are in bookmaking operations, right? That they're they the, the the process that I describe is is what they do. They originate a line. They allow the market in the beginning with limits to shape the line. And then by close, they're efficient. And right. then they they open up more. And as they open up the limits, you get more of the dumb money or whatever. And then, then they're just getting action. They don't care. It doesn't right. matter. There's no such, there's no need to profile anyone. There's no reason why you, on a one o'clock football game that if you make a bet at 1258, you should ever be limited. Unless the book has its own max of like, you can't more, bet more. We don't want to get hit by more than a half a million dollars for by anyone. Right. But there's no reason that no matter what, how sharp you're profiled, that if, if there's a seven point spread in a game and it's up two minutes before the game, that you shouldn't be allowed to bet five grand. On. I mean, like it's what 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 is my bet different from this other person's? It doesn't. Right. The line is efficient at this point. You, 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 there's, there's, there's nothing to be scared of or anything like that. But retail sports books, that's that's what they're in the business for. They're in the business for. We we want to attract uh, the dumb the dumbest people possible for the le- least amount of work. Yeah, right. Real sports books are like uh, in in the United States. Circa would be one that would be a, yeah. they're, they're a sports book. Everyone else in the United States, all the other books, BetMGM, uh, DraftKings, FanDuel, PointsBet. Barstool, whatever, all those other books. Number one, most of them are like, I, I did, well, DraftKings just changed, but a lot of them are can be. So like, all you're playing is like a skin in a poker in like like old poker skins in online poker. You're playing with the same platform. It's just a different, it just looks different. Yeah. Right. You go to one, like it's the same lines. It's the same backend system that's doing everything. The only difference is maybe the promos are different, right? Because it's it's all, all you're all you're paying for is a different shade of paint and uh, and marketing, mm-hmm. right? Promos. Other than that, it's it's all the same. Now DraftKings has gone to their own technology, so they have they they have a slightly different system. They have their own internal system now since they bought SB Tech or they merged with SB Tech. So you may get you get different lines there, but still at the end of the day. Uh, most of the, most of the, most sportsbook companies are out are, want to automate so they because they're they're allowed they look, look at all the markets that you could bet on there's there's a, a million markets and you know that that how many seconds will the rodeo guy fall off his horse I mean like they have that type of thing so how much of a staff do they have to monitor all that mm-hmm. they don't they want to automate it as much as possible. But the problem with automating all of it is that you get domain experts that are much sharper than the books, right? And if they, they don't want them to be taken advantage of. So it's like, well, what we could do is either make our system better and give you better lines, or we could just kick out the ones that are too smart for us and just hope that the dumb people bet with us, right? So there's a, there's a way to do it. You could do the line shaping mentality, just involves actually putting thought into your product 
If you don't want to put thought into your product and you just want to run commercials all day and people will bet. I mean, James, you know, you know, you know, you know how frustrating it is to see where 95% of people that bet on sports that will bet on a, on a spread, but they'll bet on a spread at, at minus 115. And I'm like, why, why aren't you betting minus 110 on that? It's like, well, cause I, I bet here. Right? It's like, what does it matter? Or just like what we said before, when you said that the line, when you said was 30 on holiday, right? Yeah. 30, you had, it's 30 currently. And you have, th- you have been at 34 in your yeah. model. And I go at minus 110, there's a small edge there, but at minus 135, there isn't. Right. Right. Minus 135 is probably equal to about your, about 34. Yeah. Right. Because you're not, you're, you have to lay 135 to, 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 to get your hundred. If it was plus 100, yeah, you'd be great. Yeah. Sure. Right. Minus 105 or something like that. But people just look at the prop, right? Oh, I, I can't believe this prop is at 36 yards for some receiver or something like that. Like I have him at 50 yards. And I go, yeah, the prop is minus 180. Right. I mean, like, like you're not, that's not, but I have 14, 14 yards over. Th- yeah. But you're, you're almost laying two to one. Right. Like if you calculate that in comparison to your model, that's like betting on him scoring 50 yards, 50, that, that, exactly what you have in your model. I, I can give an actual uh, example of that. Hold on. What was the game? Terry McLaurin. And then, like, obviously, I know that we're, like, running out of time here. But this is a good example. So, Terry McLaurin, uh, let's say I had it for 82 yards last night. Um, if you put in that 82 yards, so say the prop is at, like, 60 right right um and then it is at negative 125 that negative 125 makes it so that you do want to bet the over because well, yeah well yeah that by far but where's the line where you don't i'm assuming it's something right. like my like if you have them at 82 and the prop is 60 probably you 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 don't mind betting that up until like maybe minus 220 or something Right. So here, here's another example. If the prop is at 75, right? Props at 75 receiving yards. I have an 82. At negative 125, we have a 3.96% edge on the over. Okay. If it goes up to negative 135, it's only 2%. Right. And once so it gets up to wrong. minus 160, you're dead. Negative 160, you have a 2% edge on the book. So like that, like meaning that it's a bad bet, meaning that you have lost 2% on that. Right. If you take that over at one. So it's my, minus 2% EV. Right. So that is, that's something that not near enough people pay attention to. No, and, they just go, no, I think he's going to go over. Let me bet on it. Even if I have to lay three to two, right? right. Even if it's minus 150 and just like, oh, I bet three to win two, but I think it's going to go over. Right. Because if you look at a receiving projection of 82 on Terry McLaurin, understand that that is the median the 50th percentile of what you think that he is going to do. So if a book gives you a line of 82 and the big is 100, 100. Right. then that means that you're at the 50th percentile of what the book thinks that he is going to do. So if the book gives you a prop of 75 at negative 160, you're, that's that 75. Their, me, their, their median is like 84. Their median is 84. Right? Their median is 84. 
there's that at 75, that is, uh, they're giving him a 61% chance to hit 75. Right. So think about it that way. You're, you're not thinking that the only way that you are seeing a line that is a median next to your projection, which is a median on a book, is if it's at plus 100. Otherwise, it's leaning one way or another. So you need to think about that. And that, and that's why, uh, to close it out, when we talk about DF, like thinking in terms of DFS, if you want to use sportsbook lines in your DFS process you, for, for statistical purposes, you use you you take out the vig, so it'd be vig free, right? Right. So like, oh, the prop is at seventy five at minus one ten. It's like, well, that really means seventy six and a half, right? That seventy seven maybe, like, right? Because the ten percent is the vig, so you want to know the what the sportsbook medians are versus what with the vig it counts as, and obviously you have to in order to know what that vig is, you'll have to know both sides both the over and the under yeah what the spread what the what the spread is and that's that's the whole that's called the whole percentage but this but james see this is the interesting part this i enjoy this type of sports betting type of talk but the thing is it's it's all educational it's not like well who do we bet on tonight it's like i don't know look at the it's the same thing as what i say in dfs look at the projections and and look at the sports books and anything with positive ev Go make a bet. Go for it. Do whatever you want. Go more. Go for it. I don't know what that's going to be now. I don't know what books is going to be now. There you go. But that's but that's the essence of sports bet. Yep. In the same way that in DFS, right? But in the same way in DFS, your goal is to do the same thing in a lineup perspective versus ownership projection versus ownership. Yep. Right. So James. you 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 have stuff on pay dirt for like like what you mentioned as far as calculating that stuff or is that still internal to you? Oh no, I I have these I have an NFL prop betting tool and an NBA prop betting tool that you can physically do what I just did. Like oh, okay, paydirtdfs.com. Yep, paydirtdfs.com. I'll actually make it free for the day for anybody who wants to go take a look and try them out. Uh, you can put in the same thing that I just did. Put in the prop like the over on it, put in what the over line for the book is, and you can see what the actual probabilities in EV is. So uh, I have that kind of stuff. I'll have more sports betting tools moving forward as well. Cause I'm going to be trying to do more of that stuff next year over at paydirtdfs.com. You can follow James Pater underscore DFS me at blender HD, both of us co-authors of the theory of daily fantasy sports. You know, those, if you, if, if you listen to the sports betting conversation, you're like, Wow, I never thought of sports betting this way. I never like, oh, that's how that's how sports betting works. That's how the books work. This is how you this is what betting is. It's not like who's a good pledge. It's like, no, you have a model and then you just, you, you just bet on stuff or or you predict line moves. That's there's the steam version of that. That's a that's a whole separate subject. But that's more about knowing how the books work than knowing about the teams. Because I, you could be a successful sports better without knowing anything about sports, and without even having a model. Because all you're doing is profiling how books move their numbers. Uh, but if you want to learn like that type of interesting stuff, the strategy, the game theory of stuff, and when it comes to daily fantasy sports, theoryofdfs.com. How to think like a professional DFS player. It's all the, these same type of concepts apply in DFS. So it's 15 hours long. Me and James talk you through it all. It applies to any sport. So go to theoryofdfs.com, pick it up before the end of 
the year. Uh, we got uh, NBA Grinders Live coming up later today. I know the, Jason Tatum's out, right? We got who knows? Who knows who's going to play? Uh, NBA I, slate. Do you the, think, did James? Do you think by the time the NFL season's over, I could play NBA DFS and it won't be like this? No, dude, just play League of Legends. I, like I'm telling you, man, just get, just get a sub over my side, just play League. It's it's so much better than dealing with this. It comes uh, back maybe that, maybe that is what I'll do. January 9th, dude. So much edge. Uh, but but hey, if you're playing NBA tonight, we got Grinders Live Crunch Time for premium members. And uh, and uh, I'll, I'll be back. Remember, no show tomorrow. No show Wednesday because I'm not playing NBA during this crap show. So I'll be back Thursday uh, for, for we'll, we'll look at the week uh, 17 in NFL and answer your DFS strategy questions, as I always do, on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.